So here's, here's the, the reality. The reality is, is that we're not, um, we're not isolated individuals. We're connected through relationship. And so I'm not just talking about the family of God. I'm not talking about the church. I'm just talking, now that's true, but we're, we're connected through relationships. And everybody in here, you're connected to people in relationships. And, and the most obvious way that we see that is really through the family relationships. Agree? So we, you know, we have friendships and we have other relationships. But, but the, the main way we think about uh, community and relationships, we think through family dynamics. And so we think, uh, we think about mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and crazy uncles or crazy cousins. And we all have the crazy Uncle Larry or Barry or Carrie or whoever he is that, you know, we're really hoping that he doesn't show up to the, to whatever function it is. But we all have that crazy relative that is like, they're just the butt of every joke, um, but they're still part of the family. We got some cousin Larrys in the in the family of God too. We got some cousin Larrys in this in this church, and we love them. We're all part of the family of God, but we have all these different family dynamics, and so brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and nieces and nephews and cousins, and and that's how we think about that's how we think about family. But there's so many churches. That uh, because this is the way, this is the way we see in Scripture that God defines the church. It's the household of God. It's the family of God. But there are so many churches that um, people just walk in week in and week out, and they'll come into a corporate worship, and they will sing some songs, and they will listen to a sermon, and they will walk out the doors and get in their car and never experience biblical community as God intended for it to for it to be and so that happens all the time in churches all across this nation and all across the world and that's not that's not how God intended it to be and now I want to go back to a couple verses in chapter 3 real quick that'll help us understand exactly what God's trying to do is he's trying to tell us how do we interact how do we care for the family of faith what is this what does this look like and he's trying to be very instructive for Timothy who's the pastor of in Ephesus the Ephesian church and so he's trying to teach him and tell him how to care for and to lead the church there and so he says in uh, chapter 3 this should be on your handout in chapter 3 verse 14 he says I hope to come to you soon his, his desire was to, to come to see them and to be able to say these things face to face. But he says, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the, it's very important that we understand it. We pick up on these words. In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And so we've already covered this, but the point is, is that it's the household of God. This is the church that we're, that we're a family. That's how God intended it to be. And then he continues on and he talks about the importance of sound doctrine. And last week we looked at uh, just how God desires for us to grow in godliness and what that is, how, how we do that and what that looks like. And, and we've talked about, the, you know, he, he challenged Timothy with like this responsibility and making sure that you care for and pay attention to how you live and how you teach. 
here's some of the verses from, from last week. In verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. And so he's saying, you need, to, you need to speak these things. You need to make sure that people understand these things. These things that I'm telling you, you're to communicate these, these with people around us. In verse 13, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. We talked about the fact that, hey, why do we do what we do? Why is there a microphone attached to my face and I'm up here with the Bible and we're teaching from the Bible? Well, because the Bible tells us that we should do this. And this is how God teaches and grows and shapes and molds us into who he wants us to be. In verse 14, he says, do not neglect the gift that you have, uh, which was given to you by prophecy in the council. In verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. In verse 16, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And he's saying, hey, keep a close eye. Be, examine both your life and your teaching and make sure that it's lining up with, with Scripture. And it'll be helpful for us to understand as we move into the conversation we're going to have tonight. So we're building on everything that we've talked about because Paul's just been building, building, building. So he's saying, be careful how you handle the Scripture, both with your life and with your mouth. And then he says, we're going to move into this, and really it'll be helpful if we kind of have this thought in mind. As believers, we must learn how to handle people as well as we do the Scriptures. So we've got to learn how to handle people, which sometimes can be more difficult than handling the Scriptures. Sometimes the Scripture's straightforward, and then sometimes there's Cousin Larry. And so we've got to make sure that we understand the proper way that God would have us to handle people. And we must do our due diligence in handling people the way God would have us to. And he's saying, hey, we handle one another as we handle family. That's how we, that's how we do it. How we treat one another is importantly important. And it's important because we treat people in the household of faith differently than, say, your coworker. We treat people in the household of faith differently than we do our neighbor. And, and you just go down the list. And whether it's your, your co-worker, your, la- uh, your neighbor, clients, customers, people you, you see in the store, people you run into. No, we treat people differently in the household of faith. We relate to one another as relatives. As relatives. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Members of the same loving family, and it's important that we love and care for each other well. It is very, very important. In verse, in verse 12, I skipped over this when I was kind of recapping chapter 4. In verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. He's saying, don't let anybody despise you for your youth. You, you lead as God has called you to lead. You be who God has called you to be. You can make a difference for the kingdom no matter what your age is. And so don't use that as an excuse and don't let people use that as an excuse for you. But this is important as we launch in our discussion tonight. We, he's saying, don't ignore the fact that you're young. Okay, and so he's telling a young Timothy... Don't, don't just forget the fact that you're young because that's, that's important. It would be foolish to not consider your age and the implications of that and how that's going to, impl- how it's going to impact how you lead other people. 
And so you want to make sure that you, you keep that in mind. And so, yeah, do what God's called you to do, but understand that because of your age, that's going to affect how you interact with and minister to other people around you. And so we need to, we need to look within ourselves. We need to understand things about ourselves whenever we're going and doing the things that God's called us to do and we're living out our faith. We've got to consider those things because how we do this regardless of young or old or somewhere in between, regardless of whatever it is our life circumstances are or have been or are moving into, that those things impact. They have the ability to impact or limit the impact that we have on the people around us if we don't take those things into account. And so if you're young and you think you know it all and you disrespect the elders because you think that you know they're old and they don't know what they're talking about then guess what you just limited your impact in shepherding people you've limited your impact in influencing people and so well how are we to interact how are we to do this well in first timothy chapter five he begins he says do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father younger men as brothers Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So if I had to frame this in for you, if I had to kind of summarize it, I would say we're to look up to our elders and not look down on our juniors. So we look up to the people that are older than us and we don't look down on the people. And this could be by age. This could be by, and he, he references several things. He talks about age and he talks about sex. And so we, we look up to the people who are our elders, but also maybe it's just elders in spiritual maturity. And maybe it's people who are less mature than us in our faith. And so we don't look down on people who are less mature, whether it's in age or whether it's in spiritual maturity. And we, don't, we always look up and respect those who are ahead of us. And so he says in verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. And it's really this idea that we are to respect the age and seniority of the older man, that we're to treat him appropriately as if with respect, that's the way we should do it, as you would a father. Now stop and think about that. Think about Timothy's position. And look, I know that this is a pastoral letter and that that Paul is writing to Timothy as a pastor, but these things are applicable across the board. We're going to spend time talking about uh, these first two verses, and then we're going to move into uh, a whole conversation about how to uh, love and care for widows. And all of it is 100% applicable to where we are and who we are. And so he's making this point. He's saying, hey, there are going to be times where you need to have difficult conversations with people. You're going to have to lovingly correct people. You're going to have to lovingly lead people. And all of you have people in your life that you're influencing. Every single person in the room is influencing somebody. We talked about it this week, this past uh, Sunday. We're, we're being formed. It's not whether or not we're being formed by the things around us. It's what we're allowing to form us and influence us. Well, the same thing is true in the fact that, hey, we're influencing, whether you realize it or not, you're influencing people around you. And so it's important that we stop and reflect on how we're influencing the people around us. 
And so he says, hey, you're going to have to step into something sometimes, and you're going to have to have conversations because you love and care about people. And you need to understand that the way in which you're going to enter into this conversation, when you're talking about a conversation with an older uh, man, then you're going to enter that conversation with way more humility than you would a younger one. That you're going to you're going to come in as if you were having a difficult conversation with your father. And you realize, like, I'm in no position. I'm not perfect. And let me just say that I'm in no position to really have this conversation. But this is what Scripture teaches. And this is what I see. And you're going to approach it from a level of respect and a level of humility. And so we don't come in there in to a conversation like that full of arrogance and pride. It's not, n- number one, it's sin on our part, but also it's putting a wedge between us and them where we're not even going to be able to, to shepherd and influence the way God has called us to. In verse, uh, and then he talks about younger men, but before we get there, um, let me put it this way. The bottom line as far as when it goes to older men, really, you know, older women, really just any of these, um, bottom line is fir- firm is acceptable and abrasive is forbidden. So when he talks about younger men, he's saying, look, there's less of formality. When you're confronting a peer, I don't know, sometimes for some people in the room, it's probably more difficult in confronting a peer. Uh, Maybe it's easier to have a conversation with somebody that's older than you. But the point is, is when you're confronting a peer, like it's just, he's saying that you can relax a little bit. You can just have a conversation because you're, you're one and the same. You know, when I have a conversation with my wife, we're just sitting down and we're talking. When I need to be thoughtful in the way I approach certain, certain conversations. I need, need to be thoughtful when I approach conversation with her as well. But the point is this, is that we're peers. You know, we're, we know each other well, and so it's, we approach things differently. In verse 2, he talks about older women as mothers. And really, it's just this idea of, of a tenderness, of gentle kindness. Then he, then he talks about uh, younger women as sisters in all purity. And the point is, is that we're to relate with one another as family. So we're to see one another as family. He does give a warning here in all purity. I think it's important for us to understand that. That he's saying, hey, you relate with sisters, men. You relate to women as if they're sisters. That there's this innocent rapport. That, hey, we're called to minister to one another but when it comes to men and women ministering to one another, now this goes both ways, ladies. When it comes to women and men ministering to one another, we need to have clear boundaries in place. Clear boundaries in place. I have clear boundaries in, pay, in place. That's, that is for the protect, my protection, but it's also for their protection. It's for the protection of the church. And so we've got to have clear boundaries in place. And so, hey, I'm going to offer godly counsel but if I can see that it needs to, like somebody needs to walk this out with this individual, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand this woman off to some other godly mature woman who can walk with her in this season of life. And that's the way it should be. That's why our discipleship groups, it's our deepest level of community in this church. And it's always, it's, there are women discipleship groups and there are men discipleship groups. There's not men and women, women discipleship groups. That's not good. It's not healthy. And he's saying, hey, with all purity, so you got to be careful. you got to have clear boundaries when it comes to uh, just relationships outside of, your, outside of your marriage. Okay, so here's the second point. The second point is we do not relate to everyone or every situation the same. 
And I think this is an important point for us to spend some time unpacking. We approach things differently with different people based on age, based on sex, based on level of closeness, that our interaction is going to be different based on, and that's just a few things, but our interaction is going to be, it's going to be different based on those things. And so that just makes sense because he lays it out in those first two verses. Hey, you're going to, you're going to interact with this person this way. You're going to interact with this person this way. You're going to interact with this person this way. And it just goes on down the line. And so we're going to interact differently. I can remember, uh, so when I was moving, my role had shifted and I was moving out of student ministry into adult ministry. I was having a conversation with somebody and I can't, I can't remember who it was. I may have had this conversation with my wife, but I was thinking, I, I don't know, like, I'm not really sure how do I, how do I handle, because for instance, there were plenty of times where a student would do something stupid, which they're teenagers. They're going to do something stupid, you know? And so every situation and every circumstance was just an opportunity. It was a teachable moment. But a lot of times I would call them into a classroom. We'd sit down and I'm like, you're being stupid. You're going to stop being stupid. And we're going to walk out of here and you're going to go apologize to the person you were stupid to. And that's the conversation we would have. Now, I would go in more detail, but in a sense... Stop being an idiot and stop making a mess of everything around here. What you're doing is not okay. And so when we're done with this conversation, the first conversation you have is you're going to go out and you're going to apologize to so-and-so. And then I was thinking, can I do that with adults? <laughs> you know, it's like, can I? Can I? Are y'all giving me permission to somebody else, right? You're like, yes, you can do that. It's you. No, not me, you know. But the point is, is, well, no, we interact differently, okay? And so, uh, you know, so the way I've learned to do it with adults is, I'm like, hey, got a lot of years working with teenagers. You're not a teenager, but you're acting like a teenager. Start acting your age. That sounds much better than stop being stupid, right? <laughs> no, but the point is this. No, if I'm going to have to have a conversation with somebody, I'm going to... I'm going to handle that differently. And so I might say, you know, I might approach them like, hey, have you considered that, you know, what you did and how it, it might have affected the other person? And this is what scripture, t-, you know, and so it, just handling it different because we're different. I've still had conversation with students over the last year. And there's times when I'm like, that was stupid. You shouldn't do that. And so it's just, we, we handle different situations and we handle people differently and so it might be that hey somebody needs to be encouraged somebody that's older and wiser needs to be uh, encouraged in a different way but we need to understand that we do things differently with different people and so different sexes determine different level of gentleness different relationships that have different levels of closeness will well they'll determine different levels of directness and um, you know, people who are older might require, require different levels of humility. Or you, you see what I'm saying? And so we, we no one relationship is the same. It's not the same. And so we don't treat it as the same. And so we approach things differently in different situations. And sometimes we're stern in love, but stern. And sometimes we see that, hey, 
This person has been crushed by their decisions. I don't need to crush them anymore. I need to come alongside them, and I need to breathe life into them, and I need to tell them I'm for them, and we're going to walk through this together, and it's going to, you see what I'm saying? And so we've got to be able to discern how to interact with different people in different situations. So how do we determine that? Well, Scripture teaches us here. It tells us how to do it and, and how to look at the different ages and the different sexes, but we've got to have discernment, which goes back to the conversation from this past Sunday. How do we handle different situations? How do we know? How do we get discernment? Well, if you're a Christian, you've been given the mind of Christ. And so you can see spiritual things because you've been given a spiritual mind. The cloud has been lifted. Now we have to renew our mind. We have to renew our minds. We're not to be conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we have to renew the mind of Christ within us. And so as we spend time with Jesus, we begin to think like Jesus. We begin to know, as, as we talked about this past week, we begin to learn and to know what, what makes Jesus tick and, and how he would handle this situation as we look into the Word and see how he handles situations. The best way we can know to how to handle situations and how to handle people, he handled everybody perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. And so I want to look to Jesus as to, to learn how to handle this situation and to get discernment. But that only comes through pressing into him. And as we pursue him, we begin to take on the mind of Christ more and more and understand what we should and shouldn't do. All right. So I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture as we finish out this, this passage in regards, to, uh, in regards to how we're to... Um, handle things in the household of faith in regards to widows. And so, you know, I'm looking out and I see a handful of widows in the room. And uh, I'm so grateful that, that y'all are here this evening. And uh, just specifically because of what the text is. But I understand there's a lot of people in the room who aren't widows. And there's this tendency to check out on passages like this. Kind of like I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were talking about elders. And you're like, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not ever going to be an elder. So I can just check out right now and forget. And that's not how this goes. Number one, we need to know what Scripture says and make sure that we're doing what God's called us to do the way God's called us to do it here in this fellowship. And then we need to understand that there's principles within this that we can learn from. That God wants to teach us. And so we can just look at this as a whole. And so as we go through the things tonight, understand there's things for us to learn. Okay? So don't, don't check out on me. All right, starting in verse 3. This should be on your handout. Honor, wid honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of the household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, 
and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not so i would have younger widows marry bear children manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander for some have already strayed after satan if any believing woman has relatives who are widows let her care for them let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows Okay, that was a mouthful, all right? But look, let's, let's just, let's unpack this. And so to begin with, we need to just start out by understanding we're not only to love one another like family, we must care for one another. And that's gonna be different in, in different seasons. And we're gonna be cared for differently in different seasons. And so that we must care for. Now we're looking specifically at widows, but it, it goes across the board. I mean, Mark and Penny are sitting here up here on the front row. So we don't just love, we care for. And so what does that look like and how we, we care for? We just walked through not long ago with Colby and Haley. And so just these moments in time, and there are going to be times where we're caring for and we're being cared for. Different seasons require different, different things. But we're to care for one another. It's not just to say, I love you. We're to show that, to walk that to walk that out. And so Paul gives a great deal of attention here. I mean, it's a lot of, that was a lot of, that was a mouthful. So he gives a lot of teaching and indication as to, as to how we are to care for widows and how they're to be cared for. In James one twenty seven, James says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And he's saying, hey, look, Religion that's pure looks like this. You're going to, widows and orphans, that's a good way, good indication as whether or not you really understand what the gospel means and what it, what it is. And what we see is, is that God's not only the father to the fatherless, but he's also the defender of the widow. He's the defender of the widow. And so along with orphans, he's commanded us to care for women in the church who have no one to provide or to watch out and care for them. Like it just, that makes sense. We see people who are, who are neglected, who are in need, who, who can't, who need help. Like it just makes sense that we would do something about that. And this verse and passage should prompt us to ask some hard questions. And we need to begin by asking this question. What are we doing as a church to intentionally care for the widows God has entrusted to our care? What are we doing? How are we caring for the the widows that God has entrusted to our care? I want to take just a moment. Uh, So a few weeks ago, if you were here when we were talking about qualifications of elders and stuff, I, I spent just a moment and said, hey, let's pause for just a moment and let's talk about, number one, why we're an elder led church. And we're an elder-led church because we see that clearly in Scripture. And what that looks like. And the reasons, the reasons for why. And, and so we unpacked all that. And I, I you know, just want to, because I don't know that everybody knows those things. 
and knows that we're an elder-led church. And so um, I want to take just a moment and talk a minute about how we function and how we care for, how we care, care for our widows here in this church. And, and um, over the past year, we really took a, we took a turn. And, uh, you know, in the past, I feel like we were doing a good job, but we weren't doing a great job. And so just trying to figure out how do we, because we know that God cares deeply about them. We want to, we want to come and we care deeply about them. And we want to make sure that they know that we care deeply about them. And we want to make sure that there's no need going unmet. And so how do we, how do we do this? And so then we just started looking at some, there's a few ladies in the church that were already just loving and caring for and spending time with the church. And we're like, I mean, spending time with widows. And we were like, okay, well, what does this look like? Because in the past, we would have our deacons. And deacons were assigned widows. Um, and then they would, they would keep in contact with them. And they would take care of things as needed. But they're men. Okay? There's things we're good at. And there's things we're not good at. And ladies, y'all are just way better at that than we are. And we realized, like, why not let... People who are gifted do what they're gifted to do. And so we came up with a, a team of ladies. And uh, Candace is really kind of heading things up. But there's a whole group of ladies. And she couldn't be here tonight. And she was really bummed out that she couldn't be here tonight. But there's a group of ladies who, who they have their, their widows that they stay in contact with. That they're constantly calling and checking in on. And if a need arises that they can't meet, then they'll call Roger, who heads things up on the deacon side and then Roger will put a team of men together and then they'll go over and take care of whatever it is that needs to be taken care of but most of the time it's not we never even get there we never even get there because it's just this ongoing communication with these women who have a heart for the the widows of our church the way that first Timothy is talking about here and it's just a beautiful picture it's just a beautiful picture I was talking with Candace this morning and she's like, it's ever evolving. Uh, and so it's going to continue to evolve. And, and, but I'm just telling you, it's a beautiful picture. We had the uh, widow's banquet, uh, I guess it was last month. And, uh, you know, me and Suzanne and Tony and Lisa showed up. And, we, man, it was just a beautiful thing to see. Just a beautiful thing to see. And then just to hear the stories about the relationships that are being formed and built. And so here's what I wanted to do tonight. Instead of you sitting up here listening to me talk about this, I thought, hey, why not let Janie come up here, who's on the team, come up here and just share a couple little stories just about the impact, not only that, that the women are having on the widows, but that the widows are having on the women. And those, they have so much to offer. And so it's a two-way street. And so just for just a couple minutes, Janie's going to share a couple stories. and everyone. First of all, I wanted to say that this has just been a huge blessing to me and all the other ladies who are serving. We, when we gather, we just go over and over about what a blessing they are to us. Um, one of my examples was one day Miss Betty Graham needed a ride to just simply go and get a, some film developed, and we went. Well, we couldn't get it developed there, so we went to another place. But we ended up spending the whole afternoon together just laughing and cutting up. And um, one thing I learned about her, she loves her honey buns. And it was so sweet when she said that. But um, the outreach to them, just to be able to sit there and talk to them, like we, we do call and check on them, and 
you just learn so much from them. And then Mr. Alton, he's in the nursing home, and so Patrick and I periodically will go get him and bring him to church. And y'all, you can learn so much from our widow and widowers through their marriages. If you ever have an opportunity to sit and talk to Mr. Alton, they had a beautiful marriage, and he loves coming to his church family. He gets to see all his friends. He gets to hear his local pastors, and it's just a blessing. So we just try to keep encouraging our widows and widowers to reach out to us, to let us know what we can do, how we can pray for them, and just keep in touch with them. So thank you all. So we actually, God's really just growing and blessing that ministry. And so, um, you know, as of right now, there really aren't any needs. Not saying that that's not going to be the case. But here's the thing. You don't have to be, you don't have to be on that team to do what First Timothy 5 is talking about. And uh, like I said, that, that God cares deeply and we we do too, and it's just a blessing. Hopefully, you know, that what I wanted to do was inform you, but I also wanted to encourage you too. And so as we, now as we unpack these things, understand that we're, we're really, um, we, we do things different around here. We say that a lot. We do things different. We're not perfect, but we're really striving to really do the things God calls us to do the way God calls us to, to do it. So, um, and before we continue here, I want to say a couple things. I, I want to be sensitive here. Because as I read through that, some of y'all are probably thinking, wow, that's some pretty strong language there. Like, what is that about? And hold on, some widows are actually widows and some aren't. And so I want to be careful here. I don't, you know, um, Paul's not splitting hairs. And he's like, on your 60th birthday, you can become a true widow. Did y'all pick up on that? Nobody under 60 can... You know, he's not splitting hairs and saying, no, no, because I want to, I want to be very clear here that widows have suffered loss. That's what makes them a widow. And so the pain that comes along with that is real. And he's not minimizing that. He's just saying, hey, we got to put some things in place because if we don't, then we got to have some order. Remember, we've been talking about created order for the past two or three chapters, and so it's important for us to understand, he's saying, we got to have some created order so that we can move forward. And we have to have order as we function as a church. You have order in your home. It's a household of faith. In your house, you have created order. And so this is how we're going to, to function. But he's not splitting hairs here. The, quest, the question isn't, hey, who's really a widow and who isn't? The question is, who should care for which widows? There's no question that widows are going to go uncared for. That's not the thing. And the goal is to care for widows in the way in which honors God and that is best for them. And so that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about here. So here's, he broke it into three categories. He, he divided widows into three distinct categories. And then he told who's responsible for each category. So let's just talk about them. Let's point them out. So here are the, the three distinct categories. Widows with relatives, widows who are alone, and widows who are younger. So that's how he broke it down. They have relatives. They have no one. These are young. Okay? And so who's, to, who's responsible for caring for each category? Well, for the widows who with relatives, it's family. For the widows 
that are alone, it's the church. And for the widows who are young, it's themselves. And this is primarily, understand something, this is not hard and fast. This is, this is primarily who's to care. Because we're all, the church is going to, to care for all the people in the church in some way, shape, or form. We're all, the church is going to play a role in the care of the people in this fellowship. But who's the primary caregiver? And so first and foremost, he, he addresses widows with relatives. In verse 4, he says, But if a widow has a children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. In verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and this is a strong warning, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is, faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And in verse 16, he says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And so we see it begins to make sense. Like, okay, well, there's a reason. Again, there's this created, uh, created order. And so in this created order, there's responsibilities that the family should step up and take responsibility. And really, again, I said, you know, this is for widows, but this is really for across all areas of the life. If you're a parent, this is a perfect illustration. So what's going on here is you got, you got widows who have kids who aren't taking care of their parents. And they should be. And I'm like, you're worse than unbelievers. Like, you, what are you doing? And so it's, there's this strong warning. He's saying, hey, you should be the one who is the primary caregiver. And the church should be secondary there. Not that we don't care and we're not going to do, but should be secondary. Here's a perfect example of the way we see this in the church today. People will show up with their kids and expect the church to be the primary disciple maker in their life. That's wrong. That's wrong. Parent, mom, dad, you, Scripture's clear. Read Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is your responsibility to be the primary disciple maker in your home. And the church is secondary, and we come alongside you and help you care for and disciple your children. Secondary, okay? And so that's just an, just an example. Of, and so we can't get it out of order. And so if the, if the kids are dependent on the church to be the primary caregiver for the widow, well, that's out of order. And he's saying, no, that's not correct. That's not the way this works. That's not the way we do things. That's not right. And so think, too, that, you know, we live in a different a very different setting than first century. 21st century is very different than first century. And we're, um, regardless of how much or how little money you have in the room, we live in an affluent culture. We live in an affluent culture. And so we have things like disability and Medicaid and Medicare, and we have life insurance, and we have 401ks, and we have retirements, and we have nursing homes, and we have assisted living centers, and we have all these things. And so those are good things. And those are good safety nets. And those are things that, hey, we don't want to pretend like they don't exist or take advantage of them. They're not bad. But that, what can happen is, is, is we, can, we, can, we can begin to use that and sidestep our responsibilities because, hey, our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or whatever it is, they have these things. And so what we can't do is uh, we can't, well, what we can do is we can entrust physical care to professionals but we can never abandon our family. 
We can't use those things as an excuse to not do what God has called us to do and and been given us the responsibility to, to do. And so relatives are to care for their parents and for their grandparents. And in verse 4, he says, this is pleasing to God. In verse 8, he says, this demonstrates our faith. And so caring for for aging parents is a display of Christ's love in and through you. The church is not intended to be the first line of defense for widows. That's not the way it's meant to be. And so family are intended to be primary caretakers, and the church is secondary. In the same way, like I said, Parents are to be primary disciple makers in their, in their homes. And then in verse 16, he gives a practical reason. He's saying, hey, if, if, we, if we take care of everybody who really has people to take care of them, then we can't take care of the ones who truly need the help. And that's essentially what he's saying. And so we can't send our, we don't have enough resources to go to everybody because when we do that, we expend all our resources in people and financially that we can't care for those who really, who really need it. So, widows with relatives, family should, should be the primary caretaker. Widows who are alone. Widows who are alone. In verse 5, it says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Down in verse 9, it says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And that's really, when it, remember we talked about elders, just a one woman man. She's, he's saying a one man woman. Yes. That's exactly what he's saying. You know it. <laughs> but he's saying like she's a, she's a one man woman. Right? And, and so, uh, I mean, continue on. He says, And having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and shown hospitality and washed the feet of the saints and cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. And he's just painting this, this picture of, hey, a widow who's been faithful and suffered great loss and just continued to walk out her faith. Like, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And she, she casts her cares on the goodness of God to meet her needs. And then God meets her needs through the local church, through her family of faith. And it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture because the church shines brightest when it gives royal treatment to people who have suffered greatly yet remain faithful. It really is a, a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. So then he talks about widows who are, who are younger. So in verse 11, he starts up and he says, But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not so i would have younger widows marry bear children manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander so what is going on here so remember when i was saying you know telling the older to act their age um i don't mean this in a negative way what he's saying is is act your age you're you're still young enjoy enjoy your youth 
Like you're still young. And I know that you're going to go through a grieving process and not that what you've experienced is easy. And so it's difficult, probably the most difficult thing you've ever experienced in your life. But hey, you're, you're still young. And so don't think that you have to put a, this is, this is the bookend on this end of your life and now you're going to live in misery the rest of your life. No, you're still young. It's okay. You can, you can go and live out your youth and enjoy your youth and it's okay to move on. You can continue to care for yourself and care for your family. You can remarry. It's a beautiful thing. We don't negate the pain that you experience, but it's okay to move on. And it's actually, it's actually a good thing. You don't want to stay where you are. And so it's okay to move on. And that's actually going to be, going to be good for you. But then there's this strong language in here. You're like, what is going on? And, and let, I would say it this way. There's very real concern here of spiritual damage being done to younger widows in an attempt to help them. I think this is very important for us to understand. I think this is an extremely important conversation for us to have. See, there's a real concern that spiritual damage is going to be done. And we would say that we're helping them or we're trying to help them. But ultimately, by continuing to give long-term help and care, we're doing nothing but hurting them and causing spiritual damage. And there's this strong warning, this very strong language. So someone else is taking long-term responsibility for them when they can and should be taking responsibility for themselves. Okay, that's what, that's what he's speaking to. And it becomes unhealthy. It, it's just this place of, of enabling, which leads to sin. And this wasn't a hypothetical situation. He's looking around and he's saying, this is what's going on. And a lot of the conversation that we've had earlier in the passage about men and women's roles and, and some of the, like he's speaking to some of these, some of these things. And so there's, there's damage. It's not hypothetical. It, it has and it does and it is causing damage. And so I want to I point out here, when I say uh, someone else takes long-term responsibility for them, it's important for us to understand long-term because we can and should help people get back on their feet. We 100, when people are down, when, when people are experiencing difficulty, when people have experienced difficulty, both financially, emotionally, spiritually, whatever we can do as a church, we're going to come in and we're going to help them get back on their feet so that they can begin to take responsibility for themselves. But what happens, what we can't do is we can't help somebody get back on their feet and they go back to that same destructive behavior and then we bail them out again. And then they go back to that same destructive behavior and then we bail them out again. And they go back to that same destructive behavior and we bail them out again. That's the pattern for a lot of parents. And we just continue to just enable and continue to feed this bad behavior. And so there comes a point where we're like, hey, we're not, we're not helping you. We're hurting you. And so we're, we're not going to continue long-term to do this because it's doing nothing but hurting you. And all, also, it's causing you to enter into sin. It's causing you to stumble. It's causing you to sin. It's leading you down a path that is, that is not good. And so I don't, I don't want to, golly, we could, I could just, un, just open the box and cause all sorts of problems but I'll give you a perfect example of this and then I'm not going to go in detail because I don't need to but the governmental welfare system is a perfect example of this and I don't need to say anything else 
I don't need to say anything else. We see the damage that it does. And not just immediate damage, but generational problems that it creates. It's, it's dangerous. It creates dependency. It, it creates sin. It creates all sorts of problems. Why would we want to do that to people in the church? We don't want to do that. And so that's what, that's what Paul is teaching. And that's what he's, he's saying. We want to be helpful. We don't want to be hurtful. And so that whole saying of, you know, you can, you can give a man a fish and feed him a meal, or you can teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. And that's really the same, the same principle. And so we can't create dependency, but it, also we can't leave people to be crushed by unbelievable circumstances. And so we've got to figure out how to navigate those, those things in a way that's not, not harmful. And understand, too, is, you know, we started this conversation just talking about people and how we treat people differently. And, you know, we, we say that, and you're, some of you, you're like, uh, I don't know. But Scripture's clear. And not all, widows, not all widows are the same. And not all circumstances in a widow's life are the same. And so we need, we need to care differently for different people in different seasons in different ways. To go back to a few weeks ago, it's one of the reasons why we have elders here. You know how we decide who and how to help? There's a group of men who love Jesus, who, who are qualified according to what Scripture teaches, and we gather around, we pray diligently, diligently, we ask God to lead us and guide us, and we try to, to care for the people of this fellowship the way Scripture teaches for us to care. That's, that's how we make those decisions. We don't just, anybody that shows up and says, hey, I need help. How much you need? What you need? Just let us know. Because guess what happens? If that's how we operate, then we're never going to be able to help people who are truly in need. Let that word get out. Okay. They'll be lined up at the door tomorrow morning. We want to be a a church that really is effective in caring for the household of faith the way God has called us to care for the household of faith. And so we can't support everyone that's in need because we don't have the capacity. Now, I will say this, that more times than not, we, we're going to err on the side of, of safety. We're going to err on the side of, of caution. We'd rather make sure that we're, we're being, uh, how do I say this? We want to be cautious and mindful, but we would rather... We'd rather make a mistake in being generous than not giving to someone who's genuine. Does that make sense? And so we want, we're going to err on the side of generosity more times than not. But once you show us who you are, we're going to believe you. Right? And so that's, that's what God has called us to do. And so um, that's how we're going to handle it. And it's, and it's important for us. We, we have to be wise and responsible with the resources that God has entrusted us. They're not our resources. You understand that? When, we, when the elders sit down and we make a decision, when we as a church decide whether or not we're, how we're going to help people, it's not our money. It doesn't belong to us. And so we're just called, we're entrusted to manage on God's behalf. And so that is, that is important for us to understand so that we can help those who truly are in need so that we can then care for them. And it's important for us to, to understand that. So just a, a few closing principles as we end our time together tonight. Number one, church charity is not a substitute for personal responsibility. 
Church charity is not a substitute for personal responsibility. We must take personal responsibility where God calls us to. Child of God, you must take personal responsibility where God has called you to. You can't depend on the church to do your job. You can't depend on the church to to take care of your responsibilities. And the truth is, is too many Christians expect the church to do what God is calling them to do. That's just the truth. Too many people. Now, I don't want to step on any toes, but if I step on your toes, I'm sorry. Not really. See, God's calling you to lead somebody to Christ, and yet you're bringing them to us. Now, we'll lead them to Christ. But God's put you in their life. God's given you a position of influence. God's called you to pour into, invest in, to share the gospel. He's called you. Now, we, secondary, secondary line of defense, we're going to come in and we're going to support and we're going to do everything. But, but so often, there, so many Christians have never, never led a single soul, never impacted a single soul to come to faith. Now, I don't mean to bury you under the weight of that. I'm just saying... Okay? So we got to start living out. We got to do what God's called us to do. Parents, you're the primary disciple maker in your kid's life. Don't bring your kids to church and expect us to do your job. We're going to do our job. We're going to do our job. But it's to come alongside you and support you and help you in this process of discipling your kids. Some ministry opportunity comes up. You're burdened with something, you're burdened for somebody. And so what do you do? You come and say, hey, man, I've really got a burden for so-and-so. Can, what, can y'all, what can we do? What can we do? My plate's full. God gave you a burden. Why are you coming to me? You know? So, like, I will help you. I will walk with you. I'll help you figure some things out. But if God's given you the burden, quit trying to put that burden on somebody else and do what God's called you to do. That's what he's called us to. And so he's called us to love and to care. So when you see somebody who legitimately is in need, then guess what? The same way we would care for the widows that God has entrusted to us, then do that for them. Do that for whoever it is. Meet the need. Meet the need. That's what God calls us to do. Okay? And so it's important for us to understand. And, and then when we do that, we can, we got to be careful, you know, as far as like when God's calling us to do something, we want to do that. But we also want to call people and embrace their responsibilities as well. And so what happens is, is, you know, I'm telling you this because I want you to embrace your responsibility so you can grow the way in which God's called you to grow. So you won't stumble into sin because you're not, you know, you're being dependent upon somebody else. And so we want to lead people to embrace their responsibility because we don't want it to harm them. When it should be something that they're doing themselves. We were having a conversation last week, so... Um, my son is getting married next month and so we were talking with Goose and Sam and uh, we were talking about just the influence of parents and so Goose's parents I know them well uh, and we're talking about Sam's parents just how like just the homes in which we grew up in and we we got off in this whole conversation about how um, when we were kids both my wife and I we felt like 
We didn't feel like we literally did everything. I mean, there wasn't anything that we didn't do, any chore, anything. Like, and there was, you know, we weren't out having fun. We were doing work. That's what we were doing. And so we came to this realization like, hey, we want our kids to be kids. We want them to experience like what is, we want them to experience childhood. And we overcorrected. And so then we didn't really give them any chores. Bad move. Bad move. <laughs> Bad move. We were talking about how if we had it to do over again, we would do things very differently. There's got to be a balance and somewhere in between. But we give responsibility for their good. And when we don't give responsibility, when we don't teach them how to cook, when we don't teach them how to clean, when we don't teach them how to fix their car, when we don't teach them how to do these things, then they'll never learn and they can't care for themselves. And they have to take that responsibility for themselves. Well, we've got to do that. We've got to hand those responsibilities off. We've got to hand those responsibilities off. All right. A full, active life is much more likely to remain godly than an idle, uninvolved one. That's really the principle that Paul was getting at with the younger widows. A full, active life is much more likely to remain godly than an idle, uninvolved one. You know, there's extremes here, so we can be entirely too busy which leads to being distracted from what we're really called to do. But the point is this. We should be investing our lives in what matters. We should involve ourselves in the activity of God, in this church, in this community, in this world. We should invest our lives in the things that matter. We see a legitimate need and we are to get involved. That's what we should do. That's what God's called us to do. And when we're idle, just, you know, I could have given you a ton of passage of scripture just go read the proverbs just start in the beginning and work your way through and it'll speak directly to this principle Um, idleness will lead to all sorts of of trouble and lastly we change the world one person at a time i mean i just think of you know when janie's up here and she's talking about miss betty graham or mr alton talking about It's just what seems so small to us can make such a big difference in the life of somebody else. And we want to do these great, big, amazing things for God. And I hope you do. And I hope we do. But gosh, every day, just these, if you would just give ourselves to just these small things to make a difference in somebody's life. If we'll, if we'll see the person in front of us, if we'll zoom in, that's how Jesus did ministry. You think about it, he's constantly surrounded by crowds, but then he zooms in on one person. And whoever's right in front of him, that's the most, they feel like they're the most important person on the planet. That's what God's called us to do, to make a difference one person at a time. And whoever it is in front of us, we want to make sure that we're giving ourselves fully to them. We can't be everything for everybody. That's what Paul's saying. We can't be everything for everybody. So we got to have some boundaries in place. We've got to have those things so that we can care for the one who's in front of us. And so the point here is that our resources are limited. Your resources are limited. Your time is limited. Your energy is limited. Your finances are limited. We're limited human beings. And so we can't do everything for everybody. He doesn't say, hey, take care of all the parents. He says, take care of your parents. Take care of your parents. And so it's going to look different in different seasons. And we're going to be in different seasons where we're caring in different ways. And we're to embrace that season and to give everything that we've got 
to pour ourselves into what God has called us to lean into. So that's, that's, uh, that's the way we care for one another in the family of faith. That's how we care for the widows here. And we're not perfect, but golly, we want to continue to get better and better at caring for the people that God has entrusted to us. And so um, that's, that's true for you. That's true for you. In your life, how's God calling you to care? What's he calling you to do? What responsibilities maybe are you, you know, not embracing or whatever it is? Like God's called us to care. This is the way he's called us to care for the people in our fellowship, the people in our homes, the people in our sphere of influence. This is the way God calls us to do it. Let me pray. God, thank you for, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the gift.